lot of you know who I am, my personality type, and uh, others of you don't. Um, I'm a person who uh, likes to plan and likes to be um, prepared. And so when I get up here on a Sunday morning, um, a lot of preparation and planning goes into, oh, you know, what I present. Um, and I don't like it when um, that planning is interrupted. Um, and it's only happened two times. Um, 2004, after the tsunami um, in Indonesia, where, you know, like there was 150,000 plus people wiped out. Uh, I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, and it just felt a strong burden that I needed to talk about something different um, that addressed it. Because, I mean, if you believe this scripture, then you know that that was an act of God. It was, a, it was one of the desolations that brought, God brought, and that works both salvation and judgment. I just remember waking up at 2 going, seriously, Lord, you want me to tell something different than I prepared? Um, and after I did so, I asked him never to do it again. And um, so, you know, we had our 50th anniversary on Friday. It actually was last year, but it took us a while to get it on the calendar. So five decades. And some of you were there, maybe most of you were there, but um, I, was, uh, I was moved. I was humbled. And I, I feel a strong sense of gratitude for being a part of this church family. Um, and just amazed at, at how God worked, listening to the stories and seeing the history. And uh, so that was Friday, and yesterday as I'm getting my message together, and, I, and it's done, right? Right here, four pages. <laughs> I, have, I had the presentation behind me um, all finished. It's actually not going to be behind me. Um, and five o'clock, I just felt like this angst, this dissonance between what I had prepared and then the 50th anniversary and kind of where we're at. And, and so five o'clock this morning, that's about the time I get here, um, I came to this table and I'm just like, dang it. I don't think I'm supposed to do this. So, um, with your permission, I, uh, these are my new notes. Um, <laughs> and uh, this has a potential of either doing this. It didn't first service, but it could go down like a lead balloon um, or not. Um, it could be short or long. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. And I'm not a led-by-the-emotions kind of guy. But I do have thoughts, and I, and I hope that God will use them um, to strengthen us that, um, that relates to our 50th anniversary. So I'm going to trust the Lord in this and do this one more time. Thanks, Thanks Paul. <laughs> Need your help on this one. I am going to add, no slides, okay? So Scripture is not going to be behind you. So... Um, if you brought your Bible in whatever form you have it, even if it's in parchment, pull it out. As I want you to, I want us to see the scripture. I don't want you to just hear it, but see it. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 at the end is where I'm going to launch, and then I'm going to end it at, at uh, Revelation chapter 21. And I hope you'll see the connection. You know, um, one of the images, and this is the image that I hope um, will glue this thing together for you, but one of the images that came to my mind as I was thinking about this church was um, the image of a, a, a tell. Most of you aren't familiar with that terminology, but I don't, I don't mean like go tell it on a mountain, which has to do with speaking and relaying stories. But um, if you go to Israel, to the Holy Land, um, then you'll, 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 you'll see these tells, T-E-L, which is Arabic for a hill. And that is, um, when they talk about a tell, they're talking about a, a city that has been built up um, for centuries, sometimes even thousands of years. And as the layers of civilization are piled on top of each other, what was probably once just a city on the plain is now a small mountain. 
because there's these layers and layers of civilization that have built up. There's this, there's this tell called Tel Megiddo, from which we derive the word Armageddon. Um, Megiddo is on, on the plain of Jezreel, and, and it's a rather formidable small mountain upon which um, the city um, was built. And they have done excavations. It goes back like 26 layers, thousands of years. And I thought to myself, that's just, that's just such an image for me of, of, of a church. Because this church is what it is today because of five decades of layers of people who have ministered here. Um, four generations. We're in our fourth now. It's just people and the layers continue, and, and, and just thankful for those layers that have gone before us. Some people who've come for a short time, maybe in the Air Force, and then left, but, but contributed to the layer. Uh, some people are still here. Some people are gone. Faces that, that we don't see anymore because they've passed on to, the, to glory, to the um, great cloud of witnesses. And um, those layers have gone through good times and hard times, times of conflict. Um, but here it is. Here we are. Five decades later, layers and layers. And that's, that's really how God works. And um, as I thought about the tell, the city that is built up layer upon layer, uh, my mind went to Ephesians chapter 2 to the end. And I hope you'll indulge if this isn't polished, all right? Um, but I hope you'll get the point. Uh, let me read chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 3. 13. Actually, I started 13 last time. Let's do 12, okay? Where Paul says, remember that you were, and he's talking to, 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 to people who are non-Jewish, like me, you know, the Scottish German, um, not a Jew by right or, or ethnicity, but he's saying to you, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a horrible position to be in. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who, who has made us both Jewish and non-Jewish, one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one, one, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jewish people. For through him, this is now the Trinity, for through him we both have access in one, in one spirit to the Father. So then... This is the good news. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, and therefore recipients of all the promises of the Old Testament. Built, now here it is. This is the key verse. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Like this, such an image, this foundation of apostles and prophets, 
built on the cornerstone of Christ, and the sense of it is, is that the church will grow through the generations, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, as God builds this, let's just call it a spiritual civilization, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, and he'll do it through the cornerstone. The cornerstone, in one sense, is a foundation, but it, but it lives within the layers, um, and the cornerstone, of course, is Christ and his work and his gospel. In the first two, three chapters of Ephesians, he talks about what Christ has done to lay that cornerstone, right? It's like he has chosen us, he has, um, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing through the Son, that he has redeemed us from our sin, from our transgression, that he has uh, made us alive, he's raised us up with Christ, he's, um, he's made us new creatures, He's made us part of one huge body that's growing and living with the hope of an inheritance, which at the end of the, chapter 3 goes far beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. That's, that's an, an amazing gospel. That's the cornerstone of all that God has done for us in Christ as the foundation of the church. And it's as that... Um, cornerstone as the church remains true and centered on that one foundation of the cornerstone of Christ that that it grows and it's been growing through the centuries the church is here in America because layers and layers of church were built in the Middle East and then up into Europe and then across the Atlantic over into our eastern seaboard and across um, the West, and we're here today because layer upon layer upon layer has been built upon Christ and the teachings of the apostles and prophets. Right to here today, five decades, it's a part of that. And, and, and I, I guess the, the, the point, if there's to be a point one, is, is, is just simply this, is that as a church, being mindful that the power of this spiritual civilization that has been growing since the beginning is, is tied to the cornerstone and Christ living in our midst. Um, that, that, that there's such power, power that we don't always see, but is there. And listening to the stories of, of, of Friday night, of people who are reached, and seeing the interconnectedness and the layers being built, I was just, I was astonished by, by the power of the message of Jesus. You know, when John came here, John Hansen, our founder, you know, 50 years ago, um, he started a little small group, you know, Bible study. It was, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But later, John brought his, his brother Rich here to minister, and you know, Rich led a guy by the name of Mark Cohen to faith. And you're not going to know some of these names. Mark Cohen led another young man to faith named Jerry Sweeney, who is now a pastor in Vacaville. Jerry Sweeney was one of two guys who was up at Hume Lake when Carl Wiersbach bowed his name knee to Christ. And by the way, I, some of you know Carl, some of you don't know Carl. Uh, the more stories I've heard of young men in this congregation and how God saved them, Carl's name is in those stories a lot, uh, which kind of irritates me, actually, because he's one of those guys that when he plays games, he talks smack talk big time. He's just, you just everything in you wants to beat him. So when people talk and you hear the smack talk, when I hear stories of, man, yeah, no, Carl was instrumental in my coming to faith, I'm just like, seriously? 
But you know, he's, for all of the smack talk, I, I believe he's one of the humblest guys I know. Um, because he, he just keeps, for what, over two decades, he's been leading a D group of young men in his house. And you know what? Just in retrospect on, on, on Friday night, um, he wasn't publicly honored. And, um, and I, I think in some respects that's... Um, maybe we see things incorrectly sometimes. But I have a feeling that on that great day when, when the Lord um, rewards his people and there is a day coming, um, I have a feeling the people that don't get any attention are going to be the ones who are like, you are one of those people who were just so faithful. And I think Carl's one of them. I hate to say it, but I, I'm <laughs> just saying, just recognizing some of the most honored people are the ones who don't get the attention. But then there's, so back to the story, it's like you got John and Rich and Mark and Jerry Sweeney and Carl Wurzbach, and Carl Wurzbach was instrumental in Veronica Rowe, now Veronica Thomas, coming to faith. And Veronica Thomas started a junior high ministry in which a young little guy named Chris Gray came into, and Chris Gray got saved. And Chris Gray, as you know, uh, is a pastor up in Vacaville. But before he was a pastor in Vacaville, he was a pastor here, and he led another young man to faith by the name of Sean, who married a woman named Nicole. And I can't say their last name, because they're missionaries in a part of the world that right now um, are being pressured. I mean, they've already been taken in by the police a couple times, so I can't say where they are or even their last name. But there they are in Southeast Asia, I can say that, building layers. That's just, and, and what's the common, common thread? It's simply the gospel. It's simply people telling others about what Jesus has done on our behalf, to save us from our sin. He's given us hope in resurrection, and we have the hope of a new creation. And as that message just goes from one person to the next, you know, God just brings change. Just a a miraculous change that that changes not just the one person, but that one person and eventually a family, and they're a family, a generation, through the generation. It just kind of metastasizes. That's the power of the gospel, laying building these layers of this spiritual civilization called the church. And that's been happening for the last five decades here. And I am grateful because it's the people God has used are flawed people, people who make mistakes, people who are short-sighted, people who sin, people who struggle. And yet, as we stay connected to Christ, God, God moves. And that's the simple truth. That's point one. Is uh, is a, a church just remaining true to the cornerstone and to the simple message of the gospel? But there's something else in here that's worth noting that the first three chapters that outline the gospel is that kind of at the beginning and at the end he Paul prays right he's like for this reason to chapter one verse fifteen for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and so forth and he prays this gargantuan prayer that that we would understand the enormity of what what God has given to us in Christ and then at the end of this section on the gospel he prays again you know chapter 3 verse 14 for this reason I bow my knees before the father and one of the things he prays is that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that's all the layers of the spiritual civilization that God has is and will build what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a big component of this building is, is um, for lack of better terms, and without trying to be fancy, it's just people praying. And the reason is because we, we don't hold the power of the gospel ourselves. That's something the Lord himself wields, um, which means we, you know, we pray for it. We're not in control. We don't cause people to grow. We ourselves are not the cause of the layers of the spiritual civilization um, growing, which is why we pray. And it's not until we're absolutely convinced that we can't build it that we actually find ourselves on our knees going, all right, God, you got to do this, and you got to work. And you know, the, the way he works, and we have to just keep this in mind, is usually surprising and unexpected. Because he's in control. Like, we've said it before, we're responsible for the message, not, not whether the person believes it or not. But it's, it's remarkable to me that, that, that God grows his church in such unexpected and surprising ways. Uh, you know, I, 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 I had this, this a year, number of years ago, I had this man come to me, and I still remember his name. His name is Scott Schickel. He'll never listen to this, so I can say this out loud. And, um, and he came to me, and he was, he was intense, and he was serious, and he said, Dan, you're religious, right? I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. And uh, he said, so there's this, like, Satan worshiper dude, and he's threatening to put a hex on me. And um, what do I do? And I, it's kind of ironic, because he doesn't believe in God, but he believes enough in the dark spiritual world that he wants to know how to defend himself against it. Was, you're going to believe in one, but not the other. That's horrible. <laughs> believe in demons, but not in God. Anyway, beside the point. He asked me that question, and I'm like, well, I, I mean, I, I, the Bible portrays a, an, a, an immaterial world with powerful, evil, sadistic, uh, sadistic beings, um, fallen angels. Uh, so they're real. I told him that. I said, You're, there's really, at the end of the day, there's only one defense you have. You need Jesus, man. And, and, and I, I thought for us, I, I was like, reading the signs right? Like, this guy's coming to me. He's asking me because I'm a Christian. I'm giving him the answer. You need Jesus. And you know what? He didn't believe. But the guy next to him did, by, by the name of Matt Schultz. He was uh, one of the most promiscuous guys that I knew. God got a hold of this guy's heart, and now he still is living for Christ three decades later with his family. And I'm just like, I expected this, but got this instead. It's, that's how God works. You know, we show up, we minister the gospel, and we don't control it. We just show up, we minister it, and we pray. And you know what? God surprises us. And that's shouldn't be or should be encouraging to all of us in this room. That's really point number two. If there's if we're keeping track, cornerstone is the source of our power, Christ alive in his church and his message as the church prays. Simple stuff, but easily forgotten, easily left behind. And then the, the last piece is, is the part we do play in which God's grace moves. We are not the cause, but we are like 
the conduits or the means by which God builds. And there I take it to the verse we talked about last week, where chapter 4, verse 12, and I want you to notice, again, the common language of building. Remember end of chapter 2, talked about cornerstone, the foundation, and the whole structure being built. In chapter 4, he comes back to it. In verse 11, and it says that he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the same group, they're the foundation, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, and on and on and on you could list, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, until it's complete. That means that like this living, growing, spiritual civilization happens as we do what God has called us to do, be who we are for him and for others, use who we are and our skills and what we love to do for the sake of others. Those are all, I think, types of gifts that God gives to us. You know, and it tells us that the church is not supposed to be a show. And by show, I mean, you know, when you go and you see a musical, like Phantom of the Opera, you see it, you sit passively, you're, a, you're an observer, and you think, wow, that was moving, that was awesome, and you leave. Or you go see a movie, and you're like, wow, that was awesome, or not so awesome, then you leave, you're passive. Like, a better picture is not a show, it's not a show, this isn't a show, it's not, church is never supposed to be passive observers. But, but you know, a civilization is active. Um, I mean, you have people who are paving streets, people who are putting lines on streets, you have builders, you have people who fix cars, people who cook food and restaurants, and, and a civilization thrives as every person in that civilization is actively contributing to it based upon who they are, their gifts, passions, and placement. And the church isn't supposed to be any different. Is There is a... When its parts are active and... And really it just means, simply put, bringing who you are, bringing your past, bringing your strengths, bringing your skills, bringing your voice, bringing your perspective, bringing your service to bear upon the church, God's people, both inside and outside. That God uses that and it grows and it grows and it grows. And that's, that's how it's supposed to be. That means that... Without wanting to make you anybody in here feel guilty. And yet at the same time, if you're not an active participant in God's body, well then what are you doing? This isn't a show. This is a spiritual civilization that is being built on the cornerstone of Christ as we get on our knees and then use who we are for the sake of his church. And so all of us have to be active. And you know what? People's lives will be changed as you do. Someday, 100 years from now, people will be able to tie a story. Maybe they won't know you by name, but someone's going to be a Christian because you did something. You might not see it in our generation, but it's going to happen. Those lines of connection are going to continue to expand. That's, That's how God made the church to grow. And if I may, 
Again, keeping in mind, don't lose me here. Someday that, that, that work is going to be complete. And I don't know if the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John got together and talked about images together. But when you get to the very end of the Bible, the Apostle John writes about a city. He says, chapter 21, 9, says, Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, answer this question. In the rest of the New Testament, who is the bride of Christ? His people. So, he's going to show John his people. Then he goes on and says, And he carried me away and in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. That is, I believe, a description of the people of God completed, the city completed. And let me just say, you know, everything else is going to be gone. This building at some point is going to be gone. The city of Fairfield, as we know it, at some point is going to be gone. Uh, the 50 states, as we know it, is going to someday be gone. Washington, D.C. and its monuments are going to be gone. We know that because the earth will pass away or be baptized by fire. But there's one thing that does remain. Just, just one thing, and that is the city of God. It is this spiritual civilization founded on Christ, been expanding through the centuries as God's people stay true to Christ on their knees in prayer and using who they are for the sake of Christ and his, his people. That's 50 years from now and beyond, I, I hope... This is still here. And I hope it's bigger and stronger than ever. But it requires all of us to be centered, committed to Christ and the power of his message, to realizing he's the only one with the power to actually save someone with it. And just give yourself. Give yourself to the ministry of Christ in whatever way that looks like. And you know what? God's going to grow and change people's lives because of you. That's, that's what the Lord led me to, to say. And now what he does with it in your heart is a matter of you and the Spirit. I just want us to get busy building, or should I say keep building, right? That's what we need to do. Well, it's um, fitting, too, that we would celebrate communion this morning. You know, this binds us together, not just as a body here. But this brings us back to the cornerstone, back to the foundation laid for the church, the death of Jesus on the cross. And we celebrate this, and as we do, we join hands or hearts with the centuries and centuries of the church that have taken this together uh, as one body. And there's different dimensions to it, right? It points us back to the cross to remind us that there's a perfect man who died for sinners like me, at the same time, it looks forward to the future when we will once again be with him face to face and we will eat and drink from the cup. 
But it also reminds us, Paul tells us, that we are one body. That as Christ was broken, um, we who are separate and disconnected are now one in him. So as you come this morning, um, give thanks. Even if you're a brand new family member here. It's just like you're, you're part of the family. Say thank you, Lord, for your goodness that you've shown us the last 50 years. Um, if, if you find yourself in a place where you're just inactive and you know you need to be active, ask the Lord to give you direction and, and a, a place where you can be a part of this, this building. And um, not this building, but, you know, the building of this spiritual civilization. And just, just to in, enjoy the simple fact that we're part of something that is eternal and awesome. If I, if I could have those who are serving communion come forward as I pray, um, there is gluten-free bread in the middle but not on the, oh, there are on the sides. There's gluten-free bread in all three stations, so ask for it, and then um, just um, come forward after I pray and, and allow this to be a time of, of reflection and celebration of what Christ has done. Father, we just ask, um, we are flawed, um, weak people in and of ourselves, um, but you've chosen to use earthen vessels, weak, flawed people who trust in Christ to, to, to change the world and for the good. Um, that you use us to, to communicate your love tangibly and verbally. And we just ask God that you would be alive in this place, in this church, the church in our city, and um, allow your gospel to change it, to change us, continue to change us, and stir us on, Lord, to spur us on to love and good works. We thank you for this table and thank you for what it represents. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death. We thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent him even when we were ugly and sinful. So we come, Lord, thankful, grateful, and hungry for more of you in Christ's name. Amen.